Welcome, Parkview. Um, we're doing a we're a, we're doing this soul man thing. We just talk about the soul. That's what that's what we're trying to do is how to help you with the soul for a little while. Let's just take a test. See, well, first of all, let me just say congratulations to the Cubs. Okay, I'm a big person. Can't get too far into this, right? I uh, did make a promise last service. I will keep it. Um, if the Cubs beat the Cardinals, my Cardinals, I will wear a Cub jersey to preach next weekend. Um, and I'm just doing that because I feel like that's kind of a Steve Bartman moment right there. I probably just, you know, jinxed it for the Cubs. You're, you're, you're not going to happen. But it, it, it's, it's, it's good. It's all good. I will do it. I promise. I'm a big person. Let's take a test. See how your soul is. You're sitting behind a wheel in a car going at a constant speed. On your left side, there is an abyss. On your right side, you have a fire engine and it keeps the same speed as you as you're traveling along. In front of you is a giant pig. It's larger than your car. Behind you is a helicopter. It's following you at ground level, also at the same speed. The fire engine, the pig, the helicopter, you, you're all traveling at the same speed with an abyss on the left side. What should you do? You should step down off the merry-go-round and let a kid ride it, right? <laughs> Doesn't life feel like that sometimes? It's like, man, I mean, why? I feel like I'm just going the same direction and everybody's doing the same thing. Why is there a giant pig? And why is my life not working? And I kind of feel that way sometimes when I get busy. I don't think I've ever been busier in my life. Crazy cool church stuff going on. Crazy cool life on mission. The book I wrote, there's churches all over the country doing it. And a crazy cool launch to the purpose-driven movement in the country of Malawi this week. I just got back from Africa on Thursday. My wife and I did. And if you don't understand what international travel is like, let me just summarize the 36 hours that we spent from the time we left Malawi until the time that we got to our home. It was about 36 hours, and um, we leave Malawi which is like, you know, here, and then you fly, that, that flight got canceled, so you fly to Zambia. I still don't know where Zambia is, but we flew through it, and then we ended up in Nairobi, which is the farthest side of where I need to be, and then you spend some time in Nairobi, and you fly overnight from Nairobi to London, and you spend five hours in London, which only works out well if you have a, uh, a mixed-race grandson like I do, whose uh, dad is from Britain, so I got him a British rubber ducky, at least, in the airport in London, so I got that covered, and then you get back in the plane and you fly another eight hours back to Chicago and you get home from O'Hare. Uh, that, that's how international travel goes. It's a, it's a long way and, and it is not fun. I do not like it. I do not recommend it. And yet, my soul is good. My soul is good. And I know that I'm an adrenaline junkie, and I know I need to rest and have rhythm, and we're going to talk about that. I'm going to preach from the 23rd Psalm next week. Uh, that's important to our soul, but let me explain to you why my soul is good, and let's start by talking about what your soul is in the first place. Maybe some of you have been hearing about your soul all of your life. How many of you grew up with somebody who prayed this prayer with you at nighttime? Now I lay me down to sleep. Go ahead and say it with me. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I... What? Did you really? I mean, come on, Mom. I'm four. I'm only four years old. Why would I, why would I die? I mean, is this a good prayer? This is not a good prayer. Stop praying that prayer with your kids. You're scaring them. I, 
I pray the Lord my soul to take, right? There's this soul thing introduced to you early on for a lot of us, and we don't really understand what it is. And it is the most important thing that goes on inside of us. And I will show it to you, okay? Here's the deal. The Lord God formed man in the very beginning, Genesis 2. He formed man from the dust of the ground. He took dust and he clay and he made it into body, and that was the outer covering of our soul. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're just a dirt bag. Okay, go, go ahead. It's a good way to welcome people to, to our fellowship, okay? So he takes the dirt bag, and, and what does he do with the dirt bag, right? God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and then it became a living soul. You're not a body with a soul. You're a soul with a body. Do you understand that? But we don't live that way. We don't live that way. I live according to the things that my body wants way more than I do thinking about my soul. So we're going to reference a book called uh, Soul Keeping, Soul Keeping by John Ortberg. If you're interested in some reading on this, it's fantastic. I just, just finished rereading it for the second time as a, as a way to think about our soul and how we take care of it. And for the next four weeks after this week, we're going to hang out together, talk about our soul. And I hope that you'll do this with us. I hope that you'll get, a, get the DVD curriculum and do a host, host a group with us. You host a group by having a, a heart for people, opening up your home, serve some snacks, and turn on the DVD. It's really that simple. You don't have to know anything. You invite people you want to invite. And here's the deal. I'd love for you to host a, 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 like a bigger group. But even if you want to do this with your family, even if you want to just do this on your own, I want to encourage you to fill this out and take it to the booth and, and, and get the information so that you can be doing this along with us. There's a study guide, DVD teaching, Pastor Casey and I laid down for you, and, and you could do this. We also have a high-tech way for you to be able to do it now, um, if you'd like to do it. You can right now, like sometimes I'm, I'm, I'm in a crowd and, and I'm like, oh, I really ought to do this. And then after the thing is over, I forget what I'm doing and I, and I don't do it. It happens to me all the time. So here, right now, you can text Orland Host or Lockport Host, either way, Orland Host or Lockport Host, those are our two campuses, to 62953, and, and we will sign you up immediately. You will get the video teachings. You'll get it all online. Everything will be there for you because we want to help you. Here's why, here's why this is so important. Jesus said, what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? Now, th those are the words of Jesus right? If you have the whole world, but you lose your soul, it's not going to do you any good. And your question might be, well, is this, is it, can I lose my soul? Can I lose my salvation? Well, what is this about? Like if I'm spending too much time thinking about my dirt bag, if I'm spending too much time thinking about me and myself, can I lose my soul? And, and here's um, Dallas Willard's explanation of this. Jesus is not here talking about people going to hell. This is so good. Listen, this is, what Jesus is doing is giving us a diagnosis, not a destination. A diagnosis, not a destination. If we think of hell as a torture chamber and heaven as a pleasure factory, we will never understand Jesus' point. A ruined soul, that is one where the will and the mind and the body are disintegrated and disconnected from God and living at odds with the way God made the universe to run... If you have that kind of a ruined soul, acquiring the whole world will not give you satisfaction, let alone meaning and goodness. Maybe, uh, maybe you're watching this online right now because it's just intimidating to, to come, okay? Let me just say this to you. If it feels like your soul is ruined, there's hope for you. 
If you're listening to me in this audience and you feel like your soul is ruined, like it's not, it's not where you want it to be, welcome to the real world. This is where all of us live. But there's hope for it and there's help for it. And we're not talking about eternal destination. We're talking about you and now and where you live and how your life can go. I was just talking to somebody who said, I tried everything to fill up the hole that was in my life. I tried everything I possibly could. And finally, I started watching online. Because I didn't want to come yet, but I started watching online. And I, and I realized that Jesus was what I needed in my, in my soul. Nothing else is going to fill it. Ortberg says, to lose your soul means I no longer have a healthy center that organizes and guides my life. I am a car without a steering wheel. It doesn't matter how fast I go or how slow I go because I am a crash waiting to happen. What does it profit if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? We all know people, and we could say that's exactly what happened. So as we get into this, can we just pray for a moment? Because I think we need to invite God in to this moment and help figure out where it is that we're going to go. Lord God, I, I, I'm jet lagged and, um, and tired and, and there's other things going on. I got a granddaughter due in 12 days out in California. I've got other things going on. I got good and bad. I just got busy. I've got other, all kinds of different things going on in my life. And I know that everybody in this room has the same thing. So would you quiet our souls for just a moment? Help us forget about the giant pig in front of us and, and the abyss on the left side and all the other things that are going on. And help us center ourselves back on the thing that really is important that is going to last forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Do me a favor. Take your hand and reach to the back of your skull right back here. You'll, you'll feel the base of your skull and then there's a soft spot right there. You see what I'm talking about? Don't press too hard. You'll kill yourself. But... <laughs> If you feel that spot right there, there's a bundle of nerves right there at the bottom of, of your skull called the reticular activation system. The reticular activation system is a gateway to your brain. It is the filter to your brain. All the images and sights and sounds and everything that's coming at you, it all goes through that reticular activation system and gets to your brain. Okay? Because the, the, the the obvious thing here is that there are images, there's so much stuff going on around us that if we focused and paid attention to everything that was going on, we, we, our brain would explode. It just isn't going to work. So this is, this is like sports center for your brain, guys, okay? You can't watch all the sports. You can just watch sports center and get the highlights and get the things that are important, right? So if you live in the bush of Africa, the people that we were just with in the country of Malawi, um, their reticular activation system doesn't have to work all that hard, you know, because there's not that many things going on. And they're very, very patient people. And, and I was kind of jealous of that because they, they didn't have all this stimulation, all these things that were going on. In our world, our reticular activation system has to work really hard all the time. Let me explain to you what happens. There's only a limited amount of bandwidth going through here. So sometimes a new window opens and that means a, another window has to close. Here's how a new window works. You buy a car. Tell me if this has happened to you. New car, used car, doesn't matter. You buy a car because you like this car. And you're convinced in your mind that you've not seen very many of these cars ever before. Right? Until you buy the car. You see, you're with me, right? And then you buy the car and you're like, oh, look, there goes our car and there goes our car and there goes our car. And you start waving at other people that have your car because you're in that kind of a car club, right? That's your reticular activation system opening up a new window as soon as you bought that car. That's what it is. 
I drive a white Ford Explorer, which is way more fun than I ever thought it would be because um, patrolmen in most states drive white Ford Explorers, right? So if I'm uh, driving on the highway and someone is going slow, um, I can't even define that for you in my world, but someone is going slow, and I decide I want to pass them, and, and if there's somebody in the left lane, which is the passing lane, by the way, you're only supposed to be in that lane if you're passing, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just saying, it's a state law in the state of Illinois, get out of that lane unless you're actually passing. It's a mortal sin in Catholicism. Pope Francis just added it last week. I don't know if you know this. You cannot be in the left lane unless you're passing. So if I decide to pass and there's somebody there and they're not doing anything, it is so fun to have a white Ford Explorer. Because about half the time I'll pull up behind them and they'll go, ooh, and they'll get out of the way. Why? Because their reticular activation system just told them there might be a cop behind him and he might give him a ticket. That's what I'm talking about. There's a window there that opens up for us. So as we do this series on the soul, we're trying to help you to understand your spiritual reticular activation system. We're trying to help you to understand that there are soul things going on. There are spiritual things going on all around you that we ought to be paying more attention to. Let me give you an example. Probably, if you had to ask a Bible teacher, what is the coup de grace of a spiritual reticular activation system moment? It would be Exodus chapter 3. Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, priest of Midian. And he, fed, he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. You know the story, right? Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. Now, l l let's think about this practically for just a moment. If a bush is on fire, how long would it take a bush on fire to burn up? I mean, what would be an estimate? G give me an estimate. It has to be a guy women don't understand fire. <laughs> 10, 15 minutes, right? Maybe, maybe, maybe a half an hour. So, so what I'm saying is what had to happen <coughs> is that Moses had to notice that something was going on with the bush other than fire. This is important. I mean, the, the pyro window is always open for a guy. We like to burn stuff, right? But he noticed something else going on. And, and this is why this is important. This verse has just been really jumping out at me this week. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, okay? Key word here is when. In other words, if, if Moses hadn't noticed that there was something different going on, would God have even talked to him? This is not, you may have interpreted this, and I always did all my life, of this bush is on fire and God's talking from the bush. But God didn't talk from the bush until Moses noticed the bush. Until Moses' spiritual reticular activation system clicked in and he realized something was going on, that is when God started to speak. And I, I think about that, how many times have I walked right by a burning bush because I thought, well, it's weird that the bush is burning, but I didn't really stop to notice that maybe there's a spiritual moment going on. The problem is Moses could have walked right by it. So let, let me take you to the book of 
Romans in the 8th chapter, which is one of the classic chapters of, of the Bible, where Paul is explaining a little bit more about this, okay? And, and I want to start at the very beginning, verse 1, because it says, therefore, there is now no condemnation, okay, I want you to get that, for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're in Christ Jesus, if you have accepted Jesus, if he is your Savior, there is no condemnation. Nothing that we're talking about is about whether you are condemned or whether you are saved. This is about how we live life on this earth. That's what I want you to understand, okay? Your ability to navigate the, the reticular activation system does not get you to heaven. However, Paul goes on, and when we get down to verse 5, he talks exactly about this system. He says, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set, okay, on what the flesh desires. That's where I live most of the time. But those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set on the things the Spirit desires, in other words, the Apostle Paul is saying, listen, you can have a partnership with God about how you view the world and what you're concentrating on and what happens in your life. And here's the problem. The mind that's governed by the flesh is death. But the mind that is governed by the Spirit is life and it's peace. So if you want to back the truck all the way back up, you have to say to yourself, what am I going to, what, what do I want in my life? Do I want death or do I want life and peace? And again, this is not about eternity. This is about how we live our life right now. The reticular activation system right there. Which windows do you have open and which windows do you have closed? And, and this is something we can partner with God in or he wouldn't have told us this. There's a setting. Do you see what I'm saying? And I have ADHD. I have to take medicine for ADHD. I have to take medicine to concentrate on anything more than 30 seconds at a time. Look, there's a bird. That's me. <laughs> so what I have to do and what you have to do is keep going back and saying, okay, whoops, I've got my mind set on the flesh. I'm going to click it over and I'm going to look around and I'm going to see what God is doing right now. It's pretty simple. Do you want life or death? The mind governed by the, the flesh is death and governed by the spirit is life and peace. Those are your choices. So what should you do? You should set your spiritual reticular activation system to the spirit as much as you possibly can. Here's what I would say. Pay more attention to the things of God and less to the things of the flesh. Would you say that's a good idea? I mean, I would say that's a good idea. I would say that's a pretty duh of a sermon right there, you know? Think about God. Think about those things. But that's what we're going to talk about for the next few weeks. How do we do that? How do, how do we figure those things out? I'll tell you the burning bush moment for us, and I'll explain Africa to you. Um, I got a text inviting me to go to Rwanda in Africa, the country of Rwanda, with Rick Warren from Saddleback Church and their team. Uh, it was about two years ago. Now, in my flesh, my, my fleshly reticular activation system, I said, okay, A, I hate international travel. I don't want to go all the way to Rwanda. B, um, the timing of this is not going to be good. It was over Labor Day, and now it's my birthday, and we get our family together that we don't see very often, and I was going to have to cancel that. C, we already have projects in Africa. We're already working in Kenya. We already have a lot of missions, things going on, and Parkview doesn't need another thing to get involved in. But on the burning bush side of things, I kind of felt like maybe God was saying something to me. Maybe God was speaking. Maybe God could use a text with me easier than he could a burning bush. You know, I think he can do that. And so we talked about it, and we went. My wife, 
Bill Brown, our executive pastor, and I went. We went to Rwanda. And we saw Rwanda, which was remarkable. If you've been here, you've heard me talk about it. The government, business, the church, all working together. And, and poverty, it, it was going, they're 11% on the other side of where they were in poverty just a few years ago. There's only 1,300 orphans left in the whole country of Rwanda. Remember, Rwanda's the one that had a mass genocide 20 years ago where 90% of the population killed, or a bunch of the population killed, 10%, 1 million out of 10 million people were killed by their neighbors 20 years ago. HIV AIDS is going really the right direction. But mostly what I loved about being in Rwanda was seeing churches working together. The church leaders, the Anglicans, the Presbyterians, the Catholics, the Baptists, Pentecostals, everybody was working together. And it was amazing. So about six months later, I was out at Saddleback working on some life on mission stuff and having lunch with Rick Warren. And in the middle of guacamole, which is probably a, a good indicator of a spiritual moment, if you got good guacamole, right? In the middle of some chips and guac, Rick turned to me and said, hey, <laughs> the president of Malawi called and wants us to bring the peace plan to Malawi. Why don't you take it? Meaning, why don't you take it, Parkview? Why, why, Tim, why don't you guys take this and be the representatives of the peace plan and do the same things that we've done in Rwanda and Malawi? Uh, Bill Brown swears he thought he said Maui instead of Malawi, <laughs> but that's why he said yes. But for me, it felt like another, it felt like another burning bush moment. So I just said, sure, where's Malawi? And we figured out where Malawi was, country in sub-Saharan Africa. And for the last uh, 12 to 18 months, we've been working behind the scenes. Pastor Sean, our missions pastor, and his wife have been over there several times. We hired a guy from Malawi who is a member of parliament and a great young business leader and a great young Christian leader to work for us and to start gathering together to be the guy who's gathering together all the churches. Because the first phase of this in Malawi is for us to bring the churches together. So the beginning of this past week, the reason I was in Malawi was because we gathered together 60, we tried to keep it smaller, it kept getting bigger, about 60 pastors and denominational leaders from around the country of Malawi, and they all came together, I mean we're talking again about the Anglicans, the Lutherans, the, the Catholics are going to join us, they couldn't be in on this, uh, the Presbyterians, the Pentecostal Assembly of God, you know, every, every different kind of group there was. Salvation Army, everybody kind of group there was, we were all gathered together in this room. And we said, look, here's what we want to do. We're not here to help, we're not here to make things happen. We're here to help you and empower you. So here's what we need you to do. We need you to come up with a steering team and decide who the steering team is going to be with representatives from every group in Christianity in Malawi, and we're going to start working together. And every month for the next nine months, somebody from Parkview and somebody from Rwanda are going to come and train your leaders and get everybody on the same page working together. And so here, here's what we want you to do. We want you to pick the leaders that you want which was crazy. I thought this would never work in America. People would get mad and walk out. People would be, you know, jockeying for, for who's going to get what job and whatever. And, and they started doing it. They were very polite. They were very good. But there were some heated moments, you know, like, well, we need this guy over here. Well, we need representative over here. At the, end, at the end of three hours, which you know is a holy moment because I'm sitting in a suit and tie in an unair conditioned room in Africa, okay? And, and it was hot and I was sitting there. I mean, I, it may have been the most inspired I've ever been that I could sit still. That, that's the biggest miracle that has ever happened. 
I watched as these people went back and forth, and for three hours they deliberated. And at the end of three hours, they had, they had nominated and elected and selected nine men and women who were going to represent all of Christianity and work together with us on the peace plan, on, on helping bring churches together and doing purpose-driven training in Malawi. So then it was my job to commission them. I asked them to come up, come forward. I wanted to lay hands on them like they did in the New Testament. And so we brought our team up, some of the Saddleback team and the Rwanda team, and, and we all came up together, and we asked them to come up together. And, and there was a moment in my brain where I was thinking, boy, it sure would be cool if they knelt down so that we could lay hands on them. That just seems like the humble way to do it. But I didn't feel like it was my place to ask them to do that because I, culturally there's a lot of you know, differences with the way things go in Africa than there, than there are here. I didn't know if that would be rude or, or whatever. Plus, many of them were old, and as old as me and older, and you know how hard it is to get down and back up again. I, I just decided, well, I'm just going to let it go. And, and somehow on their own, there, there was this moment where just the Holy Spirit just blew through that room, and one of them turned to the other and said, we should kneel. And this is a picture of us commissioning the new leaders of the, of the peace plan movement, these denominational leaders in Malawi, and they knelt down on their own. <laughs> it, it, was, it, was, it was one of the moments I'll look back on as one of the coolest God moments ever in my life. Why did that happen? Because my spiritual reticular activation system said yes to Malawi, said yes to go to Rwanda, said, you know what, I'm just going to let God run these things, and I was focused on the things of the Spirit. That, that's, that's the way that it works. And I got, we got things like that going on all around us. We've been working for two or three years on getting a safe house for sex trafficked girls in the, in the city of Chicago. There's not one here, and Chicago is the second highest sex trafficking city in the, in the country, whether you can imagine that or not. We're talking about gangs. We're talking about, you know, whatever sex trafficking is going on. Well, uh, several months ago, someone donated a home that is probably nicer than any home anybody in here lives in that is going to be the new safe house. I mean, they donated it. It's going to be the new safe house. The organization that has been started is called Reclaim 13, which means we want these young girls, these preteen girls, we want to reclaim what 13-year-old girls ought to be going through in their life. I love the name. Reclaim 13. And this past week, just before they had a big fundraising gala, uh, the village where they are getting ready to launch gave them approval to finally get in. All the FBI, everything has been done, and they have approval to get in, and we will have girls in that house by Christmas. That is a God moment. <laughs> Incredible. And by the way, if you're like, man, I wish I could help, if you can do drywall and carpentry, um, we got to put a sprinkler system in the house. You know, it's, it's got to be up to code now for, for doing what we do. If you do drywall carpentry, talk to one of us in the office. We'd love to get you signed up to help do that. And I don't know, those things are so big. And I've got another one next week. You don't want to miss next week, whether I'm in a Cubs jersey or not. You don't want to miss it because you, you, I've got a whole other big announcement that's crazy that, that's more God things. And it feels to me like maybe God's like, Harlow, I don't think you've noticed a burning bush very good, so I'm going to give you a burning tree. You know, it's like this giant burning tree that he keeps throwing at me. But all I know is that every time I notice one, it seems like something else opens up and it just keeps going and keeps going and keeps going. And, and, and when I'm going that direction, when I'm focused that way, then that's when God opens up more and more windows for me to be able to see. But there's another side to this. 
Because the, the, the other side to this is what, he, what Paul said is the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit. So if I'm going to live in the spirit, if I'm going to set my mind on the spirit, that means I probably need to set my mind off of the flesh. And that's why we're doing this. Maybe we need to close a few windows along the way. You can't have all those windows open at the same time. Paul also said in Galatians 5, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other. They are in conflict with each other. You can't have them both going at the same time. You have to decide who's going to run your life. You have to decide what you're going to pay attention to. Dallas Willard said it this way, transformation is not something that may or may not be added on as an option to the gift of eternal life. It's, it's not an add-on that, I wanted, that I'm going to be more in tune with the things of the Spirit. It is the path one must be on in order to have an eternal kind of life, okay? You get Jesus, you get eternal life. But if you want it, there is an eternal kind of life that is available for you right now. It's the kingdom of heaven now. Jesus said the kingdom is here. All of those things he taught us, all those things he, he told us to teach each other, all of those things were about having eternal life now. Now here's what happens. All right? We're born into this world. The grandson's going to be one this, uh, this week. He is still, I mean, we can argue about the doctrine of original sin if you want to somewhere along the way, but one way or another, I know that my grandson is pretty pure at age one. He does some, you know, things he's not supposed to do and doesn't do some things he's supposed to do, but he's one, right? He's here. Along the way, he will grow up, and he will do some things that are wrong, and there will be some other issues in his life, and there will be some pain in his life. And, and maybe those are things that are, you know, not too harmful, like coffee, or maybe they are things that are really, really bad for you, like Tabasco sauce. Maybe there's some things that are going to happen in his life. This is where most of us live now, wouldn't you agree? This is, this is where I'm at. I, I don't know about you. I look back on my life. I look back at, at how many times I've set my reticular activation system to the spirit and how many times I've set it to the things of the flesh. And I would say that this is a, a generous way of looking at my life. And maybe your life is clouded up because of things other people did to you. Maybe there's some unforgiveness in here. Maybe there's some bitterness and some hatred. Those are all settings of the flesh, one way or the other. And those are things that we do have control over. So what am I going to do? Can this be saved? Absolutely. Jesus wants to take you to heaven. He turned to the thief on the cross whose life looked worse than this and said, come on in. That's not my point. My point is, if you keep filling this up with more and more of this stuff, it is going to make your life more miserable and be less of an eternal kind of life. It is going to be the flesh and death. But if you will fill up your life with the things of God and let Him come in and do something more for you on the inside and set your reticular activation system to things of the Spirit and spend more time filling up your glass with the things of the Spirit, look at what happens along the way. As you pour more and more of the Spirit in, you find that more and more of the contaminants go away. And that is not a contaminant-free cup of water. I still don't want to drink it. 
I have some Cipro left from my trip, but I still don't want to drink it, okay? But it, it's a much better life than what I started with when I kept filling it full of the things of the flesh. Do you see what I'm saying? Jesus said, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. Everyone who drinks the nasty water, the flesh water, will be thirsty again. But everyone who drinks the water I give them, they will never thirst. One of the things that I would, you know, I mean, while I'm on the water deal, let me just say this. One of the things that I would encourage you to do, if you want to reset your spiritual reticular activation system, is get baptized. If you have never gotten baptized by immersion, it doesn't matter if you got baptized earlier as a baby, yes, no, doesn't matter. We're not, we're not saying your baptism was wrong and ours is right. In the Bible, it was believers who got baptized and they got baptized by immersion. That's why we do the baptisms in the tub. And next weekend, we're going to do mass baptisms. Last time we did mass baptisms, six months ago, we had 250 people that came during that weekend and came and got baptized all together. You don't have to be a part of our church. You don't have to go to a class. You don't have to know anything except that you want Jesus to come in and to wash your sins away. That's all you need. Bring a change of clothes and, and we will do everything else for you or don't and we'll have stuff for you. Next weekend, I would love to see a bunch of you say, you know what, it's time for me to reset. I want to do this. Here's how Peter described baptism. This water symbolizes baptism that now saves you, not just the removal of dirt from the body, but a pledge of your clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Not the baptism, the resurrection does. But the baptism is the symbol of the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. When the Apostle Paul became a Christian, Ananias, his mentor, said, What are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash away your sins. That's why the, the immersion metaphor is so great. It's the resurrection from the dead. It's the washing of your sins away. And I want to encourage you to do this next week. Uh, if you haven't done it, this would be a great way to reset your spiritual reticular activation system that simple and for the rest of us we're going to work on this for the next five weeks how we can do this the most important thing in your life is what you do it's not what you do it is who you become it is who you become that's what you will take into eternity you are an unceasing spiritual being with an eternal destiny in God's great universe that's who he made you to be. And you can decide to live your life contaminated and all full of junk if you want to for the rest of your life and still go to heaven and be saved by grace. Absolutely, there's no condemnation in Jesus Christ. But why would you want to? When the eternal kind of spiritual life that leads to the life and peace, wouldn't you like some of that? That is available to you. It's all about making a bunch of little choices. That, that's what we want. We want you to thrive, not just survive. I'm not all right. You're not all right. This is, this is where we come from. But we can be. It's a bunch of little choices. One of them for us is uh, we do communion every week here. Um, not all churches do, and, and that's cool. We just, maybe it's just because your pastor has ADHD, but um, I need reminding as often as possible. And you know what this is, this communion thing? It's a, it's a way to set your reticular activation system to the Spirit. So why not do it every week? We do. 
And we invite you. You don't have to be from Parkview. If you're a believer, we invite you to, to do it with us. We're going to take both cups and just hold them. There's a, one cup inside the other, bread in the bottom, juice in the top. Take them both and hold them. And we'll do this all together. Let this be a moment for you every week that you reset. Next week, we'll do baptisms. That was another sacrament Jesus gave us to do once. And if you haven't done it, it was the first thing they did in the Bible. When they came to Jesus, the first thing they did, 3,000 people after the very first sermon. And if when I brought that up, there was a little light bulb that went on in your mind, and you said, oh, yeah, I've been thinking I ought to do that. That was the Spirit. That was a burning bush. Listen, come back next week. Let's do this. Let's pray together. Lord, I, I just want to pray for those who maybe are here with a really dirty glass of water right now, thinking that they don't deserve to be even in this place. Maybe they're listening to me online. They, they don't even feel like they deserve to be in this place. They're just nervous about the whole idea of coming to you because they know that, that their water is contaminated. Will you help them to know that that's why you came? You said you came for the sick, and Parkview is a place for the sick. And that's who I am, and that's who we are. We're people who are imperfect, and we have our, our, we have our reticular activation system set to the flesh way too much. But Lord, we live in the real world. We don't live in the bush of Africa. We can't go be monks in the Himalayas and, and, and not have any other things coming at us from any other direction. We live here. We live in the flesh. We live here. So what we're asking is for you to, to just help us to keep switching the switch back over. And maybe that means closing some of these windows, getting some things out of our life that are going on, some of these bad habits. Maybe it means getting in Celebrate Recovery, getting in some support. Maybe it means getting a small group together. Maybe it means getting up and reading your Bible every morning. We're going to talk about all of those things, Lord. Maybe, maybe it means all kinds of things. Maybe it means internet accountability. Whatever it is, Lord, there's a lot of windows that we could shut down and a lot of windows that we could open up to your spirit. We'll, we'll figure that out. But Lord, for right now, will you just help this moment be the moment where for at least for a few minutes here, we have all of our collective systems set to life and peace through the Spirit. And if there are people in here who think they don't deserve to be here and they have never accepted you, will you please just open up their heart right now and let them know that you love the world so much that you gave your one and only Son for them so that whoever believes will not perish but have everlasting life. That you did not send your son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him would be saved. Let them turn to you and say, Jesus, I want it. I need you. I accept you as my Lord and my Savior. And for all of us right now, give us an S-R-A-S moment as we commune. In Jesus' name we pray.